nightmares that make more sense. My name is Matthew Kroll. And did Coco Chanel take a shit on your head? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Death of Stalin. 65 years to the day. Really? No, I'm just making that up. Oh, that been, it was 65 years, but not to the day. That would have been a good fun It would have been amazing, fact. right? Yeah, I would have loved to be able to pull out fun facts like that uh, out of my ass. But unfortunately, as we're going to learn during this podcast, I don't know a lot about Russia. I just read the Wikipedia page, <laughs> so we are set. I, I have a funny feeling both of us were like uh, blasting Wikipedia, like right at, you know, in preparation for this review. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Russian history. Isn't that sad? It's like one of the great dynasties of our time. That we know. Like, I guess the only thing I do know about Russia is from like uh, Dr. Zhivago. Right. And that is not right. a good metric, no. you know, like, no. um, so yeah, well, you're get, you, you listeners, you are going to get a schooling on how not to talk or be taught about Russia from two idiots. I hope you are ready <laughs> and you are in love with that idea. Um, <laughs> and if you are, you can write us in and maybe school us on Russian history at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Emails that came in this week were uh, fast and furious. Uh, Matt, do you want to go first? With- yeah, I'll Tokyo drift this shit. Uh, oh, there you go. All right. First one is uh, from uh, Ricky. And he suggested a film for us to see, Shahir. Yeah. He suggested the movie I Kill Giants. Yes. And I did respond to your email, Ricky. Thank you for that. Um, did you know much? Do you know much about I Kill Giants? I know nothing other than what Ricky talks about in, in this email. <laughs> I think uh, it's, uh, if you, did you see the film last year, Monster Call? Yes. So yes. in the same vein as that, I think also uh, Terry Gilliam's film Tideland. I might be getting that wrong. Okay. Um, but uh, the reason I responded to this email is because just before, Ricky emailed again. Thank you, Ricky, for that email. Um, I had just read this interesting article that was on IndieWire with the director of I Kill Giants met with the writer uh, with, with the writer of a of a tweet. Uh, <laughs> a tweet writer? A tweet writer. He's a film reviewer by the name of David Ulrich, uh, who writes for IndieWire and um, among other things. And David Ulrich said, I hate this movie. Wow. And and um, the director, Anders Walter, had, had just spent four years making this movie. He'd won an Oscar previously for a short film. He's a young, you know, youngish filmmaker. So he was kind of like, this was his first foray into feature filmmaking. Sure. And the first thing he, he lands, uh, I think it was the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, he lands to see this tweet saying, I hated this movie. Oh, this thing that no. So but but the the reason this article is great is that the two met and they sat down and they had a coffee and, and they talked about it. And I think the thing that David Ulrich was kind of uh, surprised by was that um, Anders Walters wasn't going to like try to refute his claim or or um, try to disagree with him or anything like that. He just wanted to sit down and just say, tell me what you mean by you hate this movie. And, yeah. and you know, it's that thing. We, I think we've talked about this a lot. You know, like hating a movie is quite a strong, uh, strong word to associate with a film. So mm-hmm. like, so what does that mean? And I think uh, we as reviewers and I think... You know, all people who are in the review game kind of use uh, superlatives uh, often, you know, to, to express our our enthusiasm or our rage. And <laughs> and, uh, and oftentimes, you know, like um, we don't mean it. We, we're kind of just, you know, try, it, it is like a form of clickbait, I are, guess. Are you saying that my rage is manufactured? <laughs> I'm saying my enthusiasm <laughs> might be manufactured at times as well. Yeah, so, no, you're so, right, you're right. So, so I think we're just, you know, like, uh, it, it, but I just think it was, this was sort of an interesting moment where two people sat down and kind of like had a conversation about it, and they realized that you know that that you know you know maybe the tweet wasn't warranted. He still did, you know David Ulrich says at the end of it, I still don't like the film. Yeah. Um, but 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 he can respect the filmmaker. But but I think what he saw was like, oh, this guy has spent four years making this movie. It's not you know for me to dismiss it in three words isn't necessarily wrong, but it, it it's three words versus four years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there's that sort of interesting thing. Well, well, Ricky wants us to check this out. Ricky, we'll try to get to it. Uh, he says, well, the movie is not perfect. It's an example of a story of a child using their imagination to cope with harsh reality. So Matt, if you can drag Shahir out of the line for the opening of the Infinity War long enough to watch this review, uh, watch and review this movie, I'd love to hear your, both of your thoughts. He says, yours truly, and signs it with his moniker, <laughs> Iron Man 3 is garbage. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, side note, 
Do we have to have bought tickets for Infinity War at this point? I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't have them. I think probably uh, you could go a morning or something right. and it would be fine. Right. Yeah. Like I'm like one of those. I, I'm just like, oh, I will go see it when it's out. Well, the interesting mm. thing about it is before, like, I feel like when Avengers came out, like yeah. or even and that's not too terribly long ago, but like it wasn't showing in nine screens at like intervals that are insane like yeah. it is now. Like, I think you can probably just go maybe with the exception of opening night and maybe it. Like go to a smaller theater, like and I like or a bigger one because there's a trillion screens right, playing right. it. But I, it's not like so. I, the the only times I kind of get anxious about getting tickets in advance are when like they do 70 millimeter screenings of a certain film mm -hmm. at the Lincoln Center, and it's right. like the only place that'd be playing it in 70 millimeter. Mm -hmm. um, but for yeah, for Infinity War, I, there's nothing special about the projection. No, right? you go, I'm not going to see it in 3D. No, Fuck that noise. No. Um, so I'd love to see it in RPX just because I like the extra. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's more of a sound thing, to right. be honest. Yeah, Dolby uh, Atmos. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, there's no real reason to, like, hunt out the best screen no, for this no, movie. No, I mean, IMAX, who gives a shit? No. Yeah, uh, other than avoid 3D. Yes. I'm telling you that now without having seen the film, and I'm just not going to pay for it in 3D. No, no, I think, I hope 3D dies. We should do, We should really research that to figure out if 3D is actually taking a hit or not. Right. Things I, are still released, but. Yeah. Oh. I think it's just an, an additional revenue stream at this point yeah. for, for movies of this size. But anyway, Ugh. thanks again, Ricky. Uh, Jamie, uh, friend and arguably girlfriend of the show. Girl, girlfriend of half of the show. <laughs> show yeah, not, not my girlfriend. Um, I, think, I think everyone gets that. I, I hope you have a wife. That. I have a wife, yeah. Um, Jamie writes in with, uh, her Desert Island film, and it would be Tarsim's The Fall. Now, Tarsim, I believe, actually has a last name. It's Singh. Tarsim did uh, uh, a sort of a pretty extraordinary film that everyone kind of hated called The Cell previously to The Fall. Uh, I loved The Cell. I think The Cell is a, is a really interesting movie. It's not, I don't think it quite works, but it's gorgeous. I would love to watch The Cell again. I'm <laughs> sure the effects are a little dated, but who gives, I, I had fun it, with that It's a movie. pretty extraordinary looking movie, and yeah. The Fall is an extraordinary movie. Uh, Tarsim is one of these guys that kind of came out with a bang. Uh, I, I responded to, to Jamie in this, like, these are just, it, we, I try not to like read too much on the internet when I respond to an email, so I'm just responding as soon you know as soon as right. I read it of, of things I kind of know, um, <laughs> but but I did have to like look up because Tarsim has has been making movies, but he's like he came out. I remember when he came out, and this might just be my bias because like I'm Indian and he's an Indian filmmaker okay. making mainstream movies. That's a big deal, you know. I'm like oh you know, that's a thing to look out for. Mm -hmm. And so when the cell came out and it was so extraordinary looking, it was so unusual. And it was like, Oh, this is the birth of a new filmmaker of note. And, and then the fall came out. And the thing about the fall, that's really interesting. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen the fall, you should absolutely see it on Blu-ray if you can. Um, cause it, and you know, I mean that sincerely get the highest quality, you know, version of this film you can, cause it is absolutely gorgeous is he made that film across, I think over 10 years he was working in advertising. Um, so he does a lot of high end commercials and that sort of thing. So he'd go to a foreign country, shoot a commercial, uh -huh. then grab everyone that he was working on and shoot like a little segment of this film. Mm. And then he just kept doing that for like 10 years until he had the film made. Wow. Um, I think the, the main sort of through line of the film, which involves a young girl was all shot in one piece. Obviously you can't film one young aging actress, uh, over 10 years. Um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like the cell in that it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous on a level that's kind of indescribable huh, when, right. when, when I can I can see why Jamie loves this film mm -hmm. it, it's not just like a good looking movie it's an extraordinary looking movie um, and uh, the it, it actually this one works like I don't think the cell quite works but this film actually works despite kind of pulling together so many strings from all different directions and it actually does the film actually does tug at your heartstrings and, and it works okay. he's been making movies uh, since but kind of been off the radar a little bit he did a film called The Immortals which had Henry Cavill in it sort of a rip off of 300 he did a, uh, a Snow White movie which I don't think did very well as well so he's been around interesting thing about him him Zack Snyder and Michael Bay were all in the same uh, class at uh, Cal State Arts <laughs> they were all classmates. Well, it's it. The, all of the different styles just sort of mixed around. All extraordinary visual filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, I would no, say. All, yeah, that's true. All incredibly talented visualists. What professor is responsible? No. Thank you, Jamie, for sending us your Desert Island film. We're getting a lot of Desert Island film lists. Like, I kind of want to go back and just kind of watch a lot of these at I this know. point. I feel like, and it's our go-to question now. Maybe we should start a side project called Desert Island Movie. I don't know how many you can do of those. I mean, I, I'm sure there's enough that people really dig. 
big that you could probably you could probably get away with it. And then, uh, so the last thing, a uh, little uh, listener feedback we will read today is off Twitter by Jonathan Blade, friend of the show. Hello, Jonathan. Miss you are you are sharp. J Blade. <laughs> J J Blade. Uh, he uh, is talking about me and Shalia Evans' uh, Phase One Marvel retrospective. Which, as I apologize for this, it just came out today. Yep. I haven't listened to it yet. It's two hours long, which is amazing. So I kind of want to just I want to set aside some time to listen to it. I think I want to watch the films after listening. Like I like, hope I don't, so. I don't want to watch the films. I know you don't. You. That's but why you, you that's weren't why I there. But but <laughs> I think if there was a commentary to the films, I would want to. You know, like that would to, make me want to watch see it. if it's you agree with it or not. Yeah, not. exactly. One so. thing. Well, I'll get to it in a second. But Jonathan says uh, good phase one retrospective. But on the Captain America, the first Avenger part gives me uh, my annual chance to reassert that I hate when the Internet plays the idea of Steven, uh, Steve and Bucky romance. Uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, his best friend, have a lot of ships going on uh, on the Internet where fans put them together as a homosexual couple. And Shalia and I talked about that a bit on the uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast. Uh, he, uh, Jonathan continues, a gay Steve would be fine. But that particular idea is disrespectful to the family you choose sort of band of brothers love, specifically with the idea of Steve and Bucky in mind. Um, I found that interesting. I, I, I've never, I don't know. How would you feel if in Infinity War there was a subplot with Steve and Bucky finally professing their love to each other? I'd be fine with it on a, on a, on a on a, I guess, um, issues level, but it, they haven't done any work to sort of set that up. I mean, well, actually some, actually the way Shalia and I were talking about, it, some people think they have done the work. Right. Um, I, I, it, it would make narrative sense, but I don't think the actors or the characters have played up to this point for it to make story sense. Right. Um, I yeah, would be like suddenly like Cersei and, and, uh, Tyrion suddenly making out. Yeah. It'd which be, maybe be would make no sense. There'd be story. something like that. I, I get, I get the argument on both sides and I, I find the concept of, of ships on the internet. Yeah. Fascinating. I just found out what that phrase meant last year. Like when I was working on a project that required it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And what it is, I think I've, have we talked about this? I think it comes from the fact that people are just, I mean, pe- mm. uh, all, people of all ilks, shapes, sizes, creeds, uh, sexual orientations, etc. cetera, uh, uh, a lot of them are underserved. Right. And so if, if Marvel's throwing all this stuff at the biggest target possible to make everyone see it, people are going to want to see the things. Yeah. That- there, there are no homosexual... Not mainstream or people. No, no. In in infinite in the Marvel. In the Marvel. Center. Uh no. No, I don't think so. No, that's super weird. Yeah. yeah. Eighteen films. Eighteen films. Eighteen films. Then, um, I I think to me this the the thing that I I think about when I think about a comment like that is the sort of backlash that comes against. Um, things like uh, spoiler alert for Man of Steel, Ma- Superman killing someone, yeah, or um, the idea of uh, reconfiguring Nick Fury as a black mm-hmm. as a black man, uh, which happened in the comics, yeah. But, um, uh, or I- I'm just trying to think, you know, like when when you take sort of a sacred property and you recontextualize it in a slightly radical way. Um, I again, I, I'm not attached, so it really doesn't bother me at yeah. all. Like I, I just it doesn't bother me in the slightest, and I'm kind of uh, with you in that sense I also kind of I think that was my biggest takeaway from Spider-Man Homecoming which is a film I kind of liked but I kind of wished it was the Miles Morales story I, I didn't understand why third well, time yeah why third time around we're still doing the Peter Parker story yeah um, so so I you know again I don't um, I don't have any vested interest in this but if Stephen Bucky uh, was uh, a couple in the film and played up as a couple. I don't think I would have any issues with that. And I don't think I would have any issues with that um, in the Band of Brothers kind of context either. Like, I don't see why that's an issue. It kind of could be both. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't Anyway, it was an interesting discussion. And I'm glad, Jonathan, you brought it up. Jay Blade, uh, hit us back and tell us what, you know, further elaborate with us. Yeah, we can we can chat about that more and maybe we'll get more into it as uh, as the Marvel shows roll on. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if anyone else would like to get in contact with us, you can do it at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or onlymoviepodcast on Twitter like these wonderful people have done. Also, you can reach out on our Facebook page. Uh, we're still on there. Uh, he's still got all of our info, and I can't make it leave. Cambridge Analytica uh, is probing us bro- for, to, to find out which way we're going to go. Uh, on the death of Stalin vigorously. Oh, my God. Vigorously. You know, I have a project coming up that may be in Russia, 
And I'm and I here we go. And I'm really curious. I hope that makes our Russian reviews on iTunes uh, just skyrocket, uh, or not? Because, or not? Because the death of, famously the death of Stalin was banned in Russia. I know. I yeah. just read that. Yeah. So I'm curious. Like, if I like this movie, am I not going to be permitted to go to Russia for this project? That I'm I'm I, there's a chance it won't happen anyway. But I'm just. It's it's a possibility. Well, I, again, I don't know. I don't know Russian politics yeah. outside of the nightmares that are sort of a little bit that I hear about going on currently. I don't know Russian history, right? Um, but it isn't Stalin at currently with the current regime isn't someone that's like lauded. It's the it, the the current regime is the one that sort of took over after Stalin. It was like kind of did away with a lot of what Stalin did. So the Khrushchevs, uh, Khrushchev, and I think the process you're talking about is the de, they called it the de Stalin. I want to say destalinization, but that sounds like a chemical process. Destabilization, <laughs> but but it was like basically trying to eradicate Stalin's memory because it was so torturous. You know, Stalin was famously maybe responsible for the death of up to, you know, some figures have it at three million, some people, some figures have it at nine million, some yeah. people have, have it in double digits millions. Um, so Stalin is this horrendous figure in history. Um, so yeah, I, I, and as far as you know, current administration, I think their their history with um, uh, the free press for one, and their history with uh, um, homosexual homosexuality and mm -hmm. transgender people is not it doesn't it doesn't make for good reading I, and if anyone <laughs> yeah exactly they would not be on board for a Bucky and Steve ship yeah uh, apparently not so I'm uh, again I feel like your friends at Extra History would yeah really have a lot to say about this movie I, I agree um, and and uh, would 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 be very fascinated by the way this film plays and reinforces history because the, the, the thing that's interesting here is that, uh, you know, and as I say, I was blasting Wikipedia immediately after this film <laughs> on the way home. I was listening to Dan Carlin trying to find like episodes of Dan Carlin where he might've dealt with the Soviet, uh, the Soviet union. Um, <laughs> it was this, this idea is that, that a lot of the events depicted in this film did happen yeah they're, and they're, and, and they're actually like pretty fairly factually accurate in terms of, uh, the machinations of what happened. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are different timetables and things. Different timetables, but also different approaches to it because, uh, as we'll get into, the way this film depicts those events are, is completely satirical, much more of a comedy than than probably it was in real life. Yeah. But Matt, tell us about this movie. Well, the IMDb description is, and it doesn't say it or a film or whatever, it just starts with, follows the Soviet dictator's last days and depicts the chaos of a regime after his death. And that completely misses the, the, yeah. the comedy, you know, the, the absurdist, like the way in which this film basically depicts uh, people in power as ridiculous. And this is something that Armando Anucci has, has made, you know, it's his brand at this point. Um, we're having done Veep in the thick of it, in the loop. Um, this is the, this is what he's great at. And there is no person that would be bitter suited in my opinion to do the fire and fury uh, TV adaptation, <laughs> which HBO is doing right now. It's like, could you imagine oh my God. if Armando Nucci had done this? I So I walked, when I came out of the theater, I was like, this was literally just like Veep. Right. And I didn't know, I didn't yeah. know it was the same guy. And then right. actually Elise uh, of our sister podcast, uh, Speaking of Carrie, the Sex and the City podcast, check that out if it's, if it's your bag. Uh, <laughs> she told me that, because uh, she had wor worked with him in the past or worked mm -hmm. in a thing because she's an actress. And uh, I was like, that makes the most right. sense ever. Did she say anything about how the working process with because it really no no it, sadly because uh, it's he he has this extraordinary ability which is that his writing is so on point you know like that line did Coco Chanel take a shit on your head mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that would have to go through so many versions and writing you know and it's like this movie is zinger after zinger after zinger I'm just curious if like how it works how we with, work, yeah. yeah because you know like is it improv is it you know like it feels like it's improv but it's so tightly written i never I, yeah I, I sort of feel like it felt tightly written not like improv right. I, I i feel and veep never feels improv to me right. veep feels very planned and this felt very like but it, it's it's a level of skill to very planned that you don't normally see in fast-paced comedies like right. this i mean the comedy in this is is and we'll get into sort of more of the what it's about later but like i feel like the structure of it is it's written to be just a as many sort of, as you've said even before, one-liners as possible that can make sense throughout the entire thing, but not not to the point of, um, it never felt like it overdid it. Right. Uh, though, I do have a bit of a pacing issue, which we'll get into right. later. I think I think what you're getting at, though, there is that the, the film plays... 
um, sort of parallel comedy against brutal tragedy. Yeah. And the brutal tragedy is, you know, Stalin as a dictator, Stalin as a, as a terrible human being, the whom, whom uh, certainly being around is a game of life or death. And, and, you know, the amount of fear that goes into it and, and, and sort of interestingly, the amount of complicity that goes into it if you're around him. Yeah. Um, and I think it sort of plays that kind of fine line, but I think, I think at the heart of it, um, uh, for me, and I guess this will be my first impressions here, yeah. um, is that I love this brand of comedy. I love what 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 Anucci has done with Veep. I loved In the Loop, um, and I love. I've I've only seen a little bit of it in the thick of it, um, but I love this brand of comedy because I think it reminds me of a specific time in my life. I was um, for for a very short period uh, a television editor um, in a newsroom in New Zealand, and um, part of my roles there was to uh, occasionally like I would have to do the early shift. And if the early shift meant like I would have to co- operate camera in the studio. Okay. Um, you know, as all editors do. As all editors do. You're like, I mean, and the early shift is like you'd be in at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. and operate cameras. And so I had to operate the camera, uh, which I would do regularly. And there was this one time that I was in the room and and usually like a producer will come in maybe a little bit later. But for some reason, the producer didn't come in this day, you know, because it was early. Mm-hmm. And I had the prime minister of New Zealand, Helen Clark, in the room. <laughs> Uh, and and the New Zealand first leader Winston Peters next to her, and these two people don't like each other. In okay, uh, in I mean, there's sort of there's a mutual understanding of what each other's roles are, uh, but they're not like they're not on the same team. They're often. not friends. They're not they're not uh, Biden and Obama. No, no, oh, certainly not <laughs> Biden and Obama. Imagine Mitch McConnell and um, anybody Hillary Clinton, sure, being in a room together. Okay, um, uh, and. And there was this thing, there was this moment where it was basically me, Helen Clark, and Winston Peters, and just the three of us in a room. And the thing is, is, is they're not going to talk to me. I'm just, I'm going to stand quietly. It's not my place to engage or have any kind of conversation. These, this is the leader of our country uh, and the leader of a major national party in our, in our, uh, in our country. Mm-hmm. And they started having, a, and so I'm overhearing the conversation. The conversation is, um, has to do, in, at the time, uh, Samoa, which is one of uh, New Zealand's neighbors, a major uh, part of immigration to New Zealand was having, uh, the, there was a humanitarian crisis there. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how like the church leaders had organized, you know, like, um, church rallies and things like that. And then like Helen Clark was trying to show Winston Peters, uh, text messages that she had gotten from some church leaders in Samoa or something like that. And there was this absurd moment where like the leader of New Zealand was like trying to show the her op, an opposition party leader like text messages with photos and they couldn't get them to work and they were like si- accidentally sending them off to people and it was like old people using text messages <laughs> and it was this, and, and what I loved about being there in this moment was this idea that that you know when we receive this also comes from my time in the newsroom as well is that the the role of the newsroom is to is oftentimes I think there's an impl- there's a tacit impl- um, implication that we imbue our leaders with a sense of dignity um, you know we don't like talk about about the time that Paul Ryan, you know, like got stuck in a toilet or something like that. You know, like that's not. If that's, he did, we would be talking about it. Well, maybe now yeah. we would be, you know, because um, since the 2016 elections, mm-hmm. politics has it taken, is a toilet. Yeah, it has taken a turn. But I think you know, bef- prior to that, there's this idea that 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 we imbue our leaders deserve a sense of dignity, um, you know, because they're our leaders, and 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 you know, like it, there's a sort of what would happen if we learned that Vladimir Putin, um, you know. Uh, Ever wore a shirt. Yeah, or, you know, like, like uh, never changes his underwear or something like that. You know, like, there's this a sort of ridiculous to, sure. to it. And what I love about this brand of comedy, coming back to the film, is that it, in it, what, Anucci does is he entirely strips that away. He's like, he's like, no, these people are ridiculous in the way that, that like the three stooges are ridiculous, you know, and they reflect a reality and, and, and what it gets you thinking about is the absurdity of totalitarianism and the absurdity of, of, of dictatorships, you know, which is that in order to have a dictatorship, you need to have people around you who are basically running around, like trying to like oil the wheels of this absolutely horrific, crazy thing. You know, it's like, it's like the idea that, um, you know, like I always have trouble reconciling, which is like IBM had to like, 
print the um, the the Nazi death camp um, um, list. You know, like right. it's 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 sort of like oh, there is actually like a practical side to this that we never really think about because we only think about it in philosophical terms. Sure, sure, sure. And and that's what I love about this particular brand of comedy. Um, Again, I didn't know much about uh, about Russia, about Khrushchev's takeover and the sort of power vacuum that was left uh, left behind after Stalin um, and the sort of power struggle between Khrushchev and, and Beria. I, I think it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Any other film could have done it as like a serious power grab. Like you can imagine that. Remember that film Downfall with, yeah, yeah. with yeah. Hitler where it was like a very serious film, which has now been memed the shit out of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I could imagine like the, the, this, being, but it's not. It, it, and, it, and, it, and oddly, by making it absurd, it humanizes it. And it points out more than I think anything else, the ridiculousness of it all. Um, Maybe. And I, 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 I will admit after seeing it, uh, when I was in the theater, it, it, I'm, I've been having complicated film watching experiences. This one, I didn't dislike my time in the theater. I thought it was very funny. Um, I thought uh, the pacing actually, uh, I don't want to touch it because I want to stick with your point, but like it was uneven. Right. And and But then when I left it, I was like, I don't know if I really enjoyed it. Right. And then I was like, okay. I was like, why didn't I enjoy it? Did I not enjoy it? Because it's making light of uh, an absolute moral terror. And I was like, maybe, but that's not really, I mean, I was trying to weigh out the, the, the pros and cons of what this thing existing do, because I feel like there's a lot of, uh, that's how I like to look at media in general. And the, I do think that, and, and actually when I read about Russia, not letting it play, it kind of sold me on that sort of idea that you just said being that like, it's it's not because they're they're kind of shitting on Stalin a little bit in this with the with the farceness of it. They're kind of shitting on anybody in the Stalin role and and and, and sort of basically showing that the emperor's new clothes don't exist and it's just sort of like this dignity that we falsely imbue things on. So as that from from that angle, I think it's a really important film. But interestingly enough, it, it it was still the combination of 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 the level of veepness plus total human horror, mm. uh, and only because I knew that it was real. Right. Uh, it 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 threw me off a little bit from the experience of watching it. However, it's this is a tough film to juggle tone yeah and i feel like up until the very like maybe the last 10 minutes of it it does a wonderful job juggling this three stooges to frigging uh the most awful historical horrors yeah um and that that takes that takes a a skilled and steady hand but i just wish i wish i could have gotten on board because i was reading i was and i know uh rotten tomatoes isn't a meta isn't a critic thing we should obviously go to but it's got like 95 of course and uh I definitely don't f- feel negatively strongly enough to 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 try to buck that or even like whatever. It's not like a film that I I, I feel strongly against. I guess I just didn't feel strongly towards. I, I feel more strongly about the concept of the film in a positive way. Right. I, I can I can certainly see that because there's not a lot to latch onto in terms of like characters you're rooting for. Yeah. And also character journeys that you're rooting for in the sort of classical sense. Like and I and in terms of the pacing thing, I think um, there's a middle patch of this film which I I agree with. Um, sort of has not an aimlessness to it, but but a sense of like I don't know where this is all going, and it feels like it's going on for a while without really understanding clearly what's at play here. Um, so I kind of I, I do agree with that that sense of pacing, and I agree. But by the time we get to the end, um, there's a sense of like there's not a lot to like hang on to in terms of like just the film being emotionally resonant. But I think what I, what I like about it is, is the, is the absurd tone. And I, and I think the real, the, one of the things that actually plays into the skill of the tone that you're talking about is the way they employ the real, um, uh, speaking language of the actors and the accents of them. Yeah, and so this is because because I think I've talked about this on some podcasts of, uh, we've done before. Um, <laughs> was with, it ours? Was yeah, it our probably podcast? one of ours. Um, but but I have a I have a huge pit peeve about uh, English language films uh, anglicizing foreign languages um, because I think uh, as I, I'm not a speaker of 
I, I know a little bit of other languages enough to like get by conversationally, mm -hmm. but I know that the, one of the things that's really important to me and having made a film in, in a foreign language as yeah. well is that, is that language isn't just about a translation. There's a, there's a, I think this was true to that film Arrival as well, which mm. is that language also imbues a, a way of thinking. And, and when you anglicize a language, you kind of strip it from the original method of thinking, which is an important contextual part. And one thing I really like about Quentin Tarantino, for example, is that he really works to try and include uh, the original languages that, that, you know, characters might be, or if they switch out of it to give them a real reason for switching out. Yeah. So, it's a pit peeve of mine. I, I can't stand it. Like when I watch Dr. Zhivago, um, you know, like everyone speaking English and, and sort of speaking with an English intonation, it gets it gets me really kind of annoyed. I actually this weekend uh, I watched on Easter The Sound of Music. Right. Yeah. And I'm it's, like, it's a German and, movie. And it's like Austria. And then it's all just British accents. Yeah. And I was like. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Austria, and every time something happened, I'm like, meanwhile in Austria, exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the film that like I think got me thinking this way a little bit was Valkyrie, um, the Brian Singer movie yep. uh, with Tom Cruise, uh, you know, like which is uh, a very anglicized version of a you know traumatic part of, you know an interesting thing that happened in German history. Mm -hmm. But this movie actually changed my mind about that completely because I think the 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 language thing adds to the the farcical nature of it and it kind of keeps the film at an arm's length distance from the story that they're really talking about they're like then there's no sort of uh, hidden conceit here of historical accuracy. There's no like, you know, like in Valkyrie, Valkyrie goes out of its way to kind of say, this really happened and this is an important mm -hmm. moment. And you should know about this. There's nothing of that in here. They're, they they happen to be telling events that are true, but that language barrier strips it away from like saying, oh, well, this is exactly how it went down. They start, they're, they're basically doing a Veep routine, but transposing it onto Soviet Russia. And that, and to me, that heightened the absurdity of it it actually played better and it actually it made it funnier and and more resonant you know like that that sort of managing that tone i think was so elegantly handled by just dismissing everything that is a pit peeve of mine um and obviously they're not doing it for me i'm just saying that that, <laughs> that it's just this surprising thing where i feel like that that decision was a well-considered decision that actually helps the movie I think it. I overall, I think that's true. But the question I have for you is: so, do, do you think that it now makes it, this movie is okay in your book doing that? But do you think it retroactively and even moving forward will make that less of a pet peeve for you? Because I think this is a very specific case. Yeah, I think this is a specific case, and I think it works specifically in this case because of the comedy. Yeah, um, because they're trying to do it like at, like almost like a Three Stooges movie, and mm -hmm. it, and it kind of reminds me. Um, uh, the Chaplin movie, The Great Dictator. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that's a silent movie, but this idea that that it's going to be, you know, like Hitler, Hitler in that film is like bouncing uh, a globe, uh, a world globe on his butt. Yeah. His head. It's so absurd that 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 you know, like transposing that kind of language onto it, and especially like when Jason Isaacs comes on as the general, and he's got like <laughs> the thickest Cockney, or you know, like some very particular strain uh, of accent that that actually plays into like. Like, okay, no, this isn't the Russian version. This is the English version. Inter this is the English interpretation of that idea. Sure. And, and, and so it doesn't, I think it's like, it feels well considered, even though it might've just been a, a case of like, let's just do this the easy way. I think it was well considered. I don't think it was do it the easy way. I mean, anytime, for instance, I feel like English, like the thing you're talking about when it's like a British accent or an English accent across a historical other country thing, like, or even 10 commandments or like whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Uh, the that's just like oh we need to make this sound historical yeah and important and people think that like that's sort of a shorthand for that for American cinema or maybe Hollywood cinema let's just say right uh, here I think because like B Buscemi is what he's he's New York he's Brooklyn yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's that you then have all the other accents Jeffrey going Tambor on doing like his sort of new uh, Long Island kind of accent, yeah you know um so. I think that the fact that there's so many of them uh, is it 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 helps it it helps the farce the, the pacing and the cadence of a farcical veep type thing. Uh, but I now this is sort of the other side of it. I think you get the jokes and the the timing of the jokes is better this way. Yeah. I do think it was part of the reason it did kind of pull me out or not. No, no. 
not pull me out, but start making me see the seams of why I was uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's it's fast paced. It's witty. It's um, it's smart in mm-hmm. in the dialogue choices that it's mm-hmm. making. And then it shows its characters getting ready to rape a, a young girl. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, like it, 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 it never the comedy in this never lets you stay laughing if that makes sense and it's it's a lot of back and forth and not to the point of whiplash until the very end for me right uh it it had me i felt like i was on uh, one of those like uh, sort of almost like those carnival things uh, with the chairs that kind of swing back and forth. Right. And then at the end, it snapped. <laughs> right. Me. And you went flying. Uh, uh, so it's it's a complicated tone to discuss and, and to add to this soup of of complexity for for my viewing experience. I think it was too long or it felt too long. That meandering middle section, while it did deliver yucks, as I would call it, like, you know, fun one liners and things like that. But like it didn't feel like it had a purpose. The longer it still did the same great thing, the less I had praise or sort of time or comfort for it. And then by the end. Uh, there's a tonal shift in the last, I'd say 10 minutes of this film that doesn't again for me feel corrects the wrong word. doesn't work for me. Right. Um, Because it throws you so out of comedy and it goes straight into historical and straight into, into like the, the nightmare that's been in the, in the corners. Yeah. This entire time is now just all there. So like, I'm not against tone shifts in movies, but if we're going off of the idea that the purpose of this film and the reason why it's not uh, just uh, 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 making fun with a horror from history is to teach us that this is how, you know, the dictatorships are ridiculous. There's horrors going on, but they are just they're not gods. They're men. Yeah. Then it turns 180 full on like like just kidding about the kidding. Look at this nightmare. And I'm like in it in it for me, it it knocked that motive a little bit ajar, not completely, but it it didn't make its motive clear to me. Right. And so I got a little confused on my on my engagement factor and and not enjoyment factor because again i liked it but i i i find the conversation about the film far more enjoyable to have than watching the film if that makes sense right so my experience was this which is i i do agree about that sort of long meandering middle section where people are just kind of what happens is 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 the you know like the the thing about this movie is there is a committee to to decide the fate of what happens to russia in the wake of stalin's death and Mm -hmm. there are you know uh, many characters basically all pulling in different directions. Some of which who are uh, like Beria is is um, is that Beria? <laughs> Sorry, we'll I'm never get the things right. No, we'll never get them right because I, and and if the film's not going to, I don't need to. Um, <laughs> but but. Um, um, you know, what you have is these characters all pulling away, trying to figure out how they're going to negotiate this new, this new reality. And, and the thing that I, uh, my experience is, is that I knowing, I, I agree. I kind of felt the pace in the middle there, but when I got to the end, I was like, I want to watch this again. And I know I'm going to enjoy this more second mm. time because I know, I now know where this movie is hitting and I know what it's trying to do. And I think, all that stuff that's happened because it's it's not that the movie is meandering in the middle. It's just that I don't know where it's going or what it's trying to do. And knowing where it eventually ends up, I feel like I will enjoy it a second time around because I know what the purpose of those scenes are. It's not, you know, like what I mean by that is, again, I don't think that there is that the scenes are middling. You know, like there are some hysterical and kind of brilliant things that are happening in the middle. The the, the, the cabinet meeting uh, when, um, um, you know, uh, where Malenkov is taken over and they have to unite unanimously decide on on decrees post post the the Stalin's yep. death and they're like and it is decided unanimously you know like I think that is a brilliant scene it's the longest scene in the film as well um it comes right in the middle the thing I wanted to talk about in terms of uh the thing you were mentioning there in terms of engagement was the th- something I was thinking about was um and, and uh, it's something I've been trying to 
think about both of my own work and 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 something I'm trying to write as well uh, is Stanley Kubrick. Okay. And, and one of my favorite films of all time is Doctor Strangelove. Um, I think it's you know work of genius, mm-hmm. and and it it plays in the same sort of satirization of of uh, of strong men that the way this film does. Yes. You know, like uh, Doctor Strangelove is about a military general and uh, and a president trying to negotiate the fact that they might have started World War Three, and they're all idiots. Mm-hmm. Everyone's an idiot in that yeah. film. Like the movie famously has a a pie throwing content, you know, pie throwing scene that was cut from the movie. That's how absurd the film yeah. actually is. Um, but but I think at the heart of of Kubrick's worldview is the sense that humanity is a f- is a failed but beautiful species, and and the the way that that. Doctor Strangelove ends is in this in, in is a, is in the start of World War Three. It's basically the total annihilation, and it's played with like this absurd musical tone. You know, like uh, we'll meet again, mm-hmm. don't know when, don't know when. Um, that's the song that plays over the end. Yes, I, I've seen this movie so many times, um, and I. And I think it's a similar worldview that this film has, which is that humanity is a failed but beautiful species. Uh, I, I don't know if, if the beautiful side of it comes through in this film. I, I, but, I would argue it absolutely doesn't. But 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 there's a sense that 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 his worldview about humanity is slightly pessimistic. Uh, I'm saying Kubrick had like yeah, 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 yeah. Kubrick certainly saw I, I think saw humanity as failed but beautiful um, in in its oddity and. In this one, I think I I feel like the worldview and the reason there's nothing to latch onto by the end is it's all miserable. You know, like 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 the death of fifteen hundred people in the middle of this movie, you know, is is preceded by the presumed death and incarceration of millions of people. And it's like they're trying to basically negotiate their wear out their way out of the most horrible thing that they've had to all endure, and they're all complicit in it. So no one's a good guy in this movie. Yeah. No one is good. Um, no one does anything good. Um, they're all just trying to like figure out what to do and it's like it it reminds me of the Kubrickian thing of of humanity just meandering away to self-annihilation at some point and you know the last shot of this film is Khrushchev with his successor the person who will eventually Khrushchev wasn't overthrown but he was eventually uh, unseated unseated in a similar way you know he's sitting uh, um, at the head of the opera that started this film or the head of the musical performance that started this film and now someone is behind him looking at him the same you know with almost the same eye and you can see that the the cycle is going to repeat itself in some way um and the text tells you that and the text tells you that and so i think it's this sort of view of humanity that's slightly pessimistic that's slightly dark that's slightly um that's that's not as uh, optimistic as you as one would hope but but look at our political reality now, and 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 you know like if you took a snapshot of a day in the White House and made it a movie, would you have a positive outlook on humanity? No, you know no, but I mean? that's but that's the other thing too. Um, and I, I I think that's why. I, the only thing I disagree with you in that entire thing you just said is when you use the word slightly, like it's, it's totally depressing. It's right. totally. And, and I think that's why I have a hard time. Like I can laugh and then I, maybe that's why this might be it. Maybe that's why as this movie goes, like I have a, I have a threshold or a reservoir or a, or a, or a gauge of how much like horror I can take with my comedy. Right. And then as it gets realer and realer, yeah. And I think actually at the end, it kind of does a, a neck snap realism twist, not twist, but just sort of like it's been it's been playing with it and showing you horrors in the corner. And then for the last 10 minutes is like, nope, this is all here. Right. Uh, I think I I get I get worn down right. uh, emotionally, uh, philosophically, really, even about my experience watching the film and laughing when I'm laughing. Right. So I, I it it goes from a from a. um a thing of enjoyment and engagement into a into less engagement and more questioning how I'm engaging. And then by the end, I'm just like, well, this is just depressing. Right. And um, I I'm 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 kind of shocked at the level of praise again. Not that it's a bad movie. It's it's a good movie. It's made very well. But the left like I would think this would uh this movie would uh, open the doors for a more diverse set of review scores, if that makes sense. Again, I would I would just point to the political reality we live in today. I would too. That that's the sort of thing too. Uh, 
because on one hand, I, I want to see it from both sides. On one hand, you're like, oh my God, this is so true. Look at this. This is probably what the White House is like in a weird way. But we also know that in the White House, we aren't throwing a million, three million people in gulags and 15,000 people, at least in, in the country that it is. Obviously, there's wet works and bad things that America does. There's no yeah. question. But th- that's sort of the difference for me with that argument. Like we, we get the idea that like, oh my God, our leaders are flawed. Like that's fine. I got that idea from Veep. Right. But now you're throwing in mass genocide, rape and shooting people in the face. And uh, it's it it wears me down down and I would have I would I, I'm I'm a little bit disheartened not the right word I, I just it's 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 interesting to me right. that it didn't seem to wear more people down I think the skill of the way it's done might be a bomb for that for a lot of people um, or it is the political landscape the other side of the political landscape thing is I'm so sick of yeah i get it our leaders at this current point are idiots yeah. like cool let's remind me of that in my free time right. like it's 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 a level of sort of getting worn down by that whereas this if this film had come out maybe in the obama years mm. i might have had a much different uh more positive in a weird way because it's not what i'm getting fed uh you know constantly i don't know it's weird it's complicated i don't want to bad talk the film i think people should see the film i think it's i mean the performances that are great um i think every actor does a great job but there is a weird thing when you're like even i'm I'm just gonna use this as a microcosm when you combined the character introductions of suicide squad with rape and murder like real rape and murder, not like cartoon uh, murder or bad things that are happening. It's a, it's a, it's a gut check. And I, I, I don't know where I, I don't know. It, it, it's complicated for me. So this is the point at which I will like completely diverge from you. Um, cause I, I do agree with that sense of, um, uh, balancing comedy, but I think, I think the film is skillfully played. Yeah. And I think, um, interesting thing as well is that this movie was made pre the, uh, before the Trump era. So it was right. conceived, written, directed before Trump even, you know, was a possibility on the political spectrum. And mm-hmm. there's a great article, uh, an interview in the Atlantic with, uh, Amanda Nucci, where he's talking about how half of the things that happened in the Trump period would be things that if he wrote in veep would be laughed out of the room as uh, too yeah. ridiculous. A hundred percent. Um, the 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 thing is is that what I like about this film, the, the, well, okay, let me backtrack one step here. Okay, which is that I didn't find the end to be a whiplash ending. Okay, I found I found the end to be the sting in the tail of everything that we've been leading towards this entire film. Like uh, I found, it, it, uh, you know, no spoilers here, but Barry's Barry's death was not a surprise to me. It, it felt like death was around the corner for any one of these characters at right. any point. Um, and and his the the thing that I was surprised by in my viewing of it was how the performance of that of his death was willing to allow us to see how really how pathetic a character this was. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know the real history and there might be people on the opposite side that said, no, Khrushchev shouldn't have been, um, you know, Khrushchev was just as complicit as Beria was in the, in Stalin's uh, regime mm-hmm. and therefore shouldn't have, you know, basically he's just won this war battle. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but seeing Beria kind of, cry for his life at the end of the film after he's been responsible for so much death um, didn't surprise me as like a, a tonal shift or anything like that. It kind of felt like it felt like that's where the film has kind of always been hitting. Um, the, the, the sort of the sense of absurdity to it was kind of always there for me. And, and there's a, the, the thing I think I wanted to bring out was not as, as much as the absurdity of the Trump regime, but you and I are both reading a book right now called a Kim Jong-il production yes. by Paul Fisher Whew. about, uh, about the, the, the North Korean regime. And the thing about that was when I read that is I think everything about the North, the Kim Jong-il's regime, um, is absurd. It's, it's madness on a scale that is, uh, you know, unbelievable mm-hmm. and it's organized madness, you know, and it's the, it's it's this sense that 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 it's absolutely ridiculous, and I, I, I sort of think a, a little bit about um, uh, Mel Brooks from Blazing Sa- uh, Blazing Saddles as well in terms of the satire of racism. Mm-hmm. You know, the satire of like this is just a, everything about this is absurd. You know, like people writing lists to kill off their enemies 
is absurd because once you get past like the philosophical idea of like, I'm going to initiate a process, there's the absurdity of sitting down and making decisions, you know, and this is why I think about that of Helen Clark and Winston Peters sitting in a room exchanging text messages, you know, because these are yeah. the, the, everything I do leads to that. My point here is, is that what I like about all of that mm -hmm. is that in cinema, uh, in filmmaking, I like that this film challenged you to think that way right? or challenged you to be uncomfortable. And the thing I, what, what I, I, I don't think we see a lot of recently. Um, I'm trying to think of examples off the top of my head is where comedy makes you feel uncomfortable comedy that is dangerous, you know, in a way comedy that challenges your idea uh, ideas and makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's, and that's what this, I, I, I will say I didn't particularly feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know, because I think I was like put at arm's length and I felt like there was a theatricality to all of this. But but I I really responded to the way that they were interpreting history through a comedic lens in order to highlight the absurdity of it, just the same way as Stanley Kubrick did in in Doctor Strangelove. Um, so I kind of I know it, it might make you feel uncomfortable, but I like that it did. You yeah, know what I mean? And that's and that's a a, a credit to the film, I, 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 I suppose. The, the the just going back a, a second to the to the I, I do for me anyway, the the fact that it was you know, I would say 60 to 70 percent comedy, 30 percent true to life uh, terror. Um, and then at the last 10 minutes, it just drains the comedy out. And it's like, nope, it's all terror. Yeah, uh, that that's the sort of tonal whiplash that affected me weirdly. Uh, I do like and you're right. Comedy does not normally do this. Yeah. But I wonder if the me if the message and i don't know what the message i mean the message the filmmaker maybe there there's more we can all look that up on google and find interviews but if the message is look at our leaders doing awful things on occasion right uh they're just as doofy as us and look at the ridiculousness of um of fa of of um of fascism or of um, totalitarianism. totalitarianism of of these leaders in these in these roles. How crazy is that going on? You could still do that effectively, but not. Yeah, you could do it a couple different ways, and this is a way that the, the filmmakers obviously chose to do it. You could do it with the with the fake thing if you want to do it with the real thing, then that's cool too. Uh, but I think. For some people, I think me, uh, it would be more effective to not have that dr comedy drain in the last 10 minutes, plus not, uh, sh and again, not all horrors of the film obviously cut out because that would be stupid, but the, but like there was just one too many moment in the film where you're like, oh, joke, 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 rape. And you're like, Ugh. yeah. So like it, 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 again, I think it goes back to my, my, my reservoir sort of analogy of like, I can only fill up so much before I'm like, and I'm done. I'm, I'm done enjoying this film on a, on a fully immersed level. And now I've, I'm, I'm much like the healthcare system in our deductibles. The, the cup has overflowed to the next cup, right. which is thinking about how I'm experiencing a film as opposed to purely experiencing a film. Right. And I, I, I would agree with this since, you know, again, I'm going to bring the comparison back to Kubrick and it's not because I'm trying to, to make the, uh, direct one-to-one -one correlation, but I'm just 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 as a as a reference point. And in the end of Doctor Strangelove, we're we're really <laughs> the thing about Doctor Strangelove is we don't know who Doctor Strangelove is or what he's about until the very very end of the movie. Yeah, and then he comes out and he's this crazy person. He basically starts talking about this uh, the survival idea, like where they're all going to go into caves and like we should. And then he suddenly interjects that we should have two women to to every man to to help procreate, you know, increase the chances of procreation and and also pleasure and and it's like the thing that happens at the end of Doctor Strange Love is they go balls out with the comedy they just like accelerate it to a mm -hmm. point and the film ramps up you know whereas this film like like you say winds down um, and it winds down into the political reality and I think that may be a test a fact to the that they that you know like you can either keep the story going or you, you have to wind it down at some point um, it didn't bother me as much it doesn't like transcend as, as much as like say 
Doctor Strange Love does because it doesn't like land you with a gut punch at the end. Like it doesn't it doesn't accelerate to a conclusion that is profound. It accelerates to a conclusion that is expected. Con- expected and is the reality of the situation. I I kind of um I, I again I like that and I think it works very well. And I'm you know, like I I did really, really enjoy this film. Um I, the, the the toughest thing about this movie was me was that I saw it in a theater with nobody in it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one person came in late and they were and they were behind me and and i'm surprised that i'm not a person who generally laughs out loud at moments but this was a film that had me laughing out loud but then i was sort of conscious of that because there's one other person one other person in the theater and then like and i was like it was like a sort of a game of like if i laugh you know like hearing them laugh at a scene that i didn't laugh at you know i was like ah this is weird there was a lot in my theater of not every not every joke landed every time and yeah. that's like across the board yeah. like it would be 50 to 75% of the theater would laugh at one joke but not the next joke it, it it was very strange how there was always someone laughing but it was never everyone laughing right and here here's the point i wanted to make was that um I think the reason why I think the comedy actually works is that I think all of the comedy is still grounded in horror. It's just by the end of it we realize what the true what the true horror of it is. And and here's here's the point is there's a there's a hilarious scene where Jeffrey Tambor's character um, Georgie Malenkov becomes like the de facto leader yeah. uh, in the wake of Stalin's death. And suddenly he kind of like he he is sort of a meek, mild-mannered guy who doesn't like have uh, the wits of Stalin to mm-hmm. like to like take control of the situation. You know, like uh, his uh, Stalin's son says, I want to um, give a speech at uh, at my dad's funeral. <laughs> no problem. And then, and then like Khrushchev and Jackson goes, actually, from a scheduling point of view, that might be a problem. And like Miles was like, oh, when I meant no problem, I meant no problem. <laughs> and then and then he's like, I just ignore what I'm saying. Right. And and there's a scene where like. Then he's like um, taking his portrait and, you know, he's he's just got a wig on and he's saying, I want a, a look where I'm like looking off into the distance mournfully or something like that. And then I went back to look up the actual photo of that human being. Oh, yeah, it looks just like and, it. And it looks just like it. And it plays up to the comedy of it. It's playing on the reality of what that photo is. Yes. And so, and so the thing is, is like... And let's not forget as well that in the middle of this movie, one of the central hinges of this movie is Khrushchev and Beria... Um, making opposite decisions, which reads, which leads into the massacre of fifteen hundred people. Mm-hmm. That happens in the middle of this movie, and it's it doesn't feel like a sour note. It doesn't feel like a com- comedic moment. They play that as a horrific moment. Uh, uh, I would I I. I adamantly disagree with that. Right, you didn't think that when they were shooting people on the street that that was that was that. They play the moment that we're watching anytime that this is something I both a credit and a discredit in a weird way to this film. Anytime we're seeing a horror, it is a horror, right? They're not laughing at like at the very moment of it. But for instance, we see all this horror of the people getting shot in the street and then and it's interesting in a outside of the film perspective, then you see these two yuckleheads arguing about because all this, the only reason that happened is because they were both vying for power and then we're seeing zingy one-liners about it right afterward. And I can only take the, 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 Here's the actuality, but let's look at some funny one-liners about how it ca- how it happened so much. And again, right. it's it's not this is something where I feel like I would not have this reaction that I'm having if it was like a half hour sh- TV show. Right, right. Like I think it would just be like I would get right through it and I'd be like, "Oh, like to that point it does feel like an extended version of V." Yes. You know, like but but in but in um in 1953 yeah. Russia. The scene you specifically talked about, those are the moments that really sang to me because the, the moment about like talking to the sun and whatever and like we weren't, we didn't witness the horror right before or after it. They're just talking about a thing. Another thing, again, that I thought was funny even though it's referencing not directly showing a character walk in to do an awful thing to somebody is the scene where they go pick up uh, Stalin's son who at the hockey rink which is a true story it's a true story he t- ordered the hockey team to take off in a plane in a snowstorm and it crashed and then he just decided to get new hockey players and hope Stalin didn't notice which he actually did not before his death right so like that that's like dark comedy to me that's like not um not reliant or indulgent or not indulgence the wrong word I don't know what it is but like those are the moments of this film that I was like oh I'm enjoying this right it's when you see uh witty banter in intercut or round torture or other things like I, I just it for instance uh, the madness of our leaders and Dr. Strange love and all that stuff I think for me that's a more 
that's a better way to get across the ideas I think this film is trying to get across right. than this film. This is a way different style, and it's and I I I I'm appreciative that they took it right. to to try it out. It just didn't work for me. My coffer got filled before the end, and right, I right, couldn't. Right. And, and that's I, kind of my final thought as we're sort of wrapping this up. Uh, I think it's great. I just think that um, uh, there's there's a, I just wrote down a term right after I walked out of the theater. I was like the darkness of the real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know really what that meant except when I left, there was an older an older gentleman, maybe about sixty or seventy, who walked out in front of me, and he was upset. Oh yeah, and he was like, "The this happened seventy years just just seventy years ago, and we're already making fun of it. We're already joking about it." Right, and I don't honestly agree with his statement. Like, I I, I think you can you can you can sometimes you have to make jokes about things to stay sane. Uh, but, but I do think that the tone that this movie takes does decidedly decide to, to be like, no, we are joking about this. And that's a ballsy move that I respect. I just don't think for me and particularly that gentleman and maybe a few others, uh, it works. And it, it seems like I'm in the minority, but that's cool. I mean, that's that's kind of, um, that plays into the idea of why Russia might ban this film, you know, like why the Russian Ministry of Culture. Mm -hmm. And I think their major complaint was Jason Isaac's character is played for a buffoon uh, when he's actually like a great military leader. <laughs> uh, you know, so, but, but, but to my point there is um, uh I would the thing I think about a lot is not all film is made for my enjoyment whether it is comedy whether it's drama whether it's whatever I always go in with the expectation that it's you know it's up to me to come to terms with the film rather than the film to come to terms with me um you know so so I always go I if you know, there's a sense that 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 a piece of cinema is to be reckoned with, and and the, there's a plurality to this argument, which means that I, every film is therefore you know uh, acceptable, um, and, and I don't want to suggest that either. But but I guess the thing is for me is that this brand of this particular brand of comedy um, is fun and it's interesting and it has a it has a grounded reality and it's challenging and it's disturbing and I and that's what I enjoy about it um, that that's to say if you are um, for example a Russian dissident whose whose grandparents <laughs> who were in the gulags you know you might have an entirely different opinion about this but I think that's the role of art in in the in the way we live mm -hmm. and and you know for example Taika Waititi's next film is uh, has a fictionalized Hitler which he is going to play you know so he played Korg in in, uh, in um, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, he's been what, in the, uh, what we he, do in the show. Yeah, and, he, and he's going to play Hitler in the next film. And I can, ar you could argue that that if you know that sort of, you can imagine he's going to have like a comedic version of Hitler yeah. coming out. Um, that might be distasteful to, to some people. Um, but I, 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 there's a quote um, that Amanda uh, Onucci has about, um, and it's in this Atlantic article, it's the headline of the Atlantic article, <laughs> which is humorless politicians are the most dangerous. And, and I think the, the thing here is that if we aren't able to laugh at the absurdity of this, then we are in a more dangerous position than if we... Are you know, and I know, I, I know that's not quite what you're saying. There's a there's a slight difference in what you're saying, but I, but that's the reason I like this film. Gotcha. Is, is that is that it is about making sure that we see the absurdity of the actions we take. Right. And I, I think, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's very important. I was I was curious about that quote. If the humorless politicians are the most dangerous, just the context of it, because. Well, these these politicians, this movie were very full of humor, and they were very dangerous. Right. I'm, I I, I, I haven't again, read the article, so but, I just keep confused me. Well, I think I think what he's talking about there is uh, he's talking about the ban of the film as well. I got you. You know, so people oh, who take it too seriously. I see. He's talking about the Russians that banned the film, not the characters in his film. Exactly. I mean, the the characters in his film, in reality, probably wouldn't find what he did very no. funny. They probably find it insulting. But I but see. He, but, I see. You know, they, that's what comedy is for yeah. and that's what absurdity is about and satire and, and I think that's why I like the film. I do I do agree with your comments about like it it, it not resonating and landing that sort of 
the the tonal the not the tonal shift but the, but but basically the underlying thing of what it's doing. Mm. I I think it doesn't like quite a hundred percent land in a sort of successful way like 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 Stanley Kubrick's two you know Doctor yeah. Strangelove. But Doctor Strangelove is the only film I can think of that does. So I'm like you know like you this know is a I, second. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like like the one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's unfair for me to compare it to, to that. I, I think I think it's a great movie to be in theaters. It's um. It's the kind of film that, you know, I get sad about because it's the kind of film that doesn't get financing and doesn't go into movie theaters. And when it does, you know, two people go to see it. Uh, uh, my know, theater is pretty full. I saw it at the IMC, the IFC IFC. Center, yeah. um, but that's probably why. Yeah, that's probably why. So, you know, like I just I, I want films to be this challenging and yeah. this difficult and, and, you know, like to do things that are that I have to reckon with. Sure. Yeah. I get that. Well, this has mm-hmm. been the only podcast about the death of Stalin. Uh, Shahir, when you are not sitting alone, worried about laughing next to one stranger. Where can folks find you? You can find me creeped out hiding in the corner of my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when your cup does, doth runneth over with co- with too much comedy so that the next cup is, fill, is slowly dripping with... Uh, drama <laughs> where can people find you i don't know where i'm going with this my, my deductibles will be dripping blood at matthewkroll.com that's m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works also skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram or emperor msk on twitter uh yes everyone thank you so much for listening if you want to talk to us about the death of stalin or any of the weird pseudo topics we kind of touched on that this movie got us talking about you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or you can give us a, a shout or a tweet at uh, Only Movie Pod or at for our, you know just anything you want to talk to us about and oh reviews we know you know we love them just drop one I just feel like the two people that you talk to are the two people that are listening to the you know like the old man that you talk to in your theater and the guy laughing behind me in my theater are the two people that are listening to us right now I mean maybe I'd love <laughs> I, and if you're not those people I'd still love the review from what you expect that person's perspective to be. Uh, <laughs> Well, this has been heavy, <laughs> but that's good. I, I think it's a it's a it's a good thing to talk about, and uh, yeah, rock and roll. I guess. I, I, I mean, I gotta I gotta go read more about Stalin. Yeah, I same. Gotta, I gotta go find out more about Lenin, Stalin. You know. Back to Wikipedia. That's where we go. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye.